a minute i think since we last talked there have been lots of like ups and downs on this journey but it's so weird like tomorrow um i'm leaving for colorado haven't been back since i graduated and peaced out um so i'm going to a wedding right um and something that like happens in life i feel like is that I end up getting like more tanned on my arms than I do on my legs, especially since I'm getting my tattoo removed. You're supposed to not really expose it to sun. So I've been like doing my best to put on sunscreen on my arms and I wear just like long pants when I go running anyway. So I haven't like laid out at all to like, I feel like sometimes that balances the Mm -hmm. like top half being like way more tan than the bottom half. Um, So since I haven't been doing that, I just put on self-tanner on my legs, no other part of my body. And I I don't know how this is going to turn out. Interesting. Uh, how do you, so how exactly does self-tanner work? Like, is it a color? Like, how do you make sure it matches the right way? So I got, it's like a foaming thing. And you just, I think you can pick like light, medium, or dark, obviously. I think I stuck to like light to medium. And then you like put it on as a foam. And it says to leave it on for one to four hours. So I'll probably take it off around like the two hour mark and just hope that it's not like super streaky. Otherwise, I'm like, I don't know what to do because my arms are very tan and my bottom half looks like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Um, <laughs> wear tights. <laughs> I don't know. Stockings. No, that's actually wear stockings. Yeah. <laughs> A good idea. We'll see. Also, too, like, how do I handle it if this did go horribly and I, like, can't get it off? I guess I'll just wear long pants. Man, white people probs. Uh, (laughs) It's a struggle. And I can feel my, like, knee armpits, like, getting sweaty because it's currently 90 degrees in Boston. So, like, am I just, like, dripping sweat down the bottom of my legs and, like, Mm -hmm. that's just going to screw it all up? Knee armpits. Okay. (laughs) You know, knee pits. (laughs) Your knee pits. Yeah, your knee pits. Never, I always, back of the knee, but knee armpits I actually really enjoy. So thank you for that. Yeah, so that's my life dilemma. Um, I also love, like, so Rachel currently is in Boston. We'll be going to Colorado. I live in Colorado, but I'm currently in Florida, so we will be missing each other, which sucks. But yes, say la I cry vie. every you time. You should. It, you know what's ironic is that so uh, Becca, older sister that I've mentioned many times on this podcast, is uh, going to school out there, but is transferring to Illinois, and. Mm. That will be the last weekend that she is in Colorado. And my mom's actually going to be there, too. But I'm not going to get to see my mom. Because I'll be at a wedding. Aw, family affair. It's all happening. It's all happening. (laughs) 
it is well well i hope you're having a, a somewhat good time in florida maybe yeah. at, at least that the weather's nice or or something <laughs> yeah, i mean yeah aside from like the midday typhoon that hits between like two and four and then like goes away like nothing ever happened um yeah, it's pretty good. Oh, I, I was just going to add yeah. in. So, um, yeah, I think Natalie and I have, have both had a talk, oh, yeah. um, and we are going to start moving to doing one case each week. You know, we started this podcast in smack dab in the middle of the pandemic where no one really had a social life and, you know, things were a little bit slower as, as far as work. And, um, you know, now that we are getting into the swing of things i think it's just a little bit more sustainable for the both of us to be switching and doing every other week that will allow us to you know give you guys better you know amazing content be 100 percent focused not have like random weeks where you know life just gets the best of us so that is just a change that we are going to be incorporating going forward um thank you all in advance for for understanding um but again with our thoughts just being wanting to you know continue doing the show we love it so much um and being able to provide the best show possible for for all of our our listeners for sure. I should be a politician. You should. No, I'm just you kidding. Should. <laughs> um, so, this week's episode, um, I also just sent you something that I 100% thought I was sending to Jerome. <laughs> I was like, why did you just text me? <laughs> I wasn't done. I was like, wait, that's not. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. Um, anyway, um, you're, I have you both in my favorites, and you're like right next to that, so that's why. They're like the only people I text. <laughs> um, but, okay, so this week um, we're doing, I guess we're going to do two weeks of this technically, but we're doing L.A. crimes. And so um, I'm up first, and I just interpreted what your instruction is a crime taking place in Los Angeles. So that, that was all it was. I was like, you know what, let's switch things up. You know, it doesn't always have to be like the same kind of crime. It could be like a place or like a similar topic or like, who knows, who knows what the future will bring for sure. And so, um, yeah, that's what we're going to do as I casually look for my case. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. Welcome to Pink Collar, a true crime podcast focusing on crimes committed exclusively by women. Each week, we'll be bringing you a brand new case focusing on the psychology behind these crimes and advocating for early intervention. Please subscribe on your preferred podcasting platform and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For every review, we will donate a dollar to the National Center for Victims of Crime. So I am doing the case of the Hollywood madam, Heidi Fleiss. Um, So Heidi Fleiss was born in 1965 into a large well-to-do family. I think she was one of six and, you know, yeah, that's that's a big family. Um, And she was raised in the greater Los Angeles area of California. Her dad has his like own Wikipedia page because he was like some big deal like pediatrician. Like, so well-to-do. Isn't Mike Fleiss the the bachelor guy? Yeah, actually, I think so. I wonder if they're related. Maybe, maybe. Um, 
1987, we're going to like fast forward through some of her early years. Um, so in 1987, Heidi was 22 years old and she was dating a film director named Ivan Nagy or Nagy. I don't know. It's spelled N like Nancy, A-G-Y. Um, and he was 27 years her senior and so he like had directed things like Starsky and Hutch things that I've never seen but he was you know a director Um, and he was also 27 years older than her and so as you know it doesn't always happen but you know relationships with a significant age difference power differential sometimes you know things People get led into situations that maybe they would not have been in otherwise or um, things like that. So it's not always the case. Um, it is my opinion in life that you should not date someone who could be the same age as your child. Rachel's Unpopular like, opinion. Rachel's like, if you are 18 months older than that person, you are breaking the law. I'm just kidding. You mean, no. Like, <laughs> just joking. Like, I think, like, 16 years old is maybe, like, the cutoff, because a 16-year-old could absolutely... Or, like, if you're 16 years older than someone, you could be their parent. So, like, a 30-year-old dating a 46-year-old would be weird to you? A little bit. I guess I'm being too harshly judgmental, I do think, though, the older you go, like, then the less... I don't know, like... A 40-year-old and, like, a 55-year-old. Yes, it I'm certainly like, depends on what point in time they started dating, at what age they yeah, started dating. For sure. Siri. Um, no. Who's Fury? Siri. Did you oh, not hear that? No. Siri started listening to what I was saying and then was like, here's what I found. Oh, gosh. Um, not so. right now. So through, you know, dating this man who was 27 years older than her, Ivan, um, she met a woman named Madam Alex. And so according to The Hollywood Reporter, Madam Alex, who was also known as Alex Adams, Elizabeth Adams, Betsy Jensen, and Alex Fleming, among others, she was a procurist to the stars. In other words, Madam Alex ran a prostitution ring that served a bevy of celebrity clientele. And so Madam Alex took Heidi under her wing and started Heidi out as her assistant. In 2002, Heidi said that um, she and Alex had a very intense relationship, and Heidi described herself as the daughter that Alex both loved and hated at the same time. And so she said that Alex was both abusive and loving to her at the same time. And so another thing similar... I'm not saying that her relationship with, like, her boyfriend was at all abusive or anything like that. But in terms of, like, these intense, like, interpersonal relationships and there being a power differential, um, I don't know. I definitely see, like, the age and experience level um, is probably playing a role as well as, you know, why her employer in this case um was both loving and abusive to her um well, and also too, just like not being a great person <laughs> right that's a common pattern i think in abusive relationships is that there is um you know 
often going back and forth between being incredibly abusive and cruel and shifting to being absolutely loving almost like love bombing because otherwise why you know would someone stay in that relationship or give someone false lightning give someone false hope that you know this is how the relationship could look you know if you know often the abuse is blamed on the other person so you know if I just didn't mess up you know they would be this loving person all the time so that I think is actually very common in in cycles of abuse yeah and I I also I, I also find it interesting and it's like a good thing to kind of talk about is that these cycles and patterns of abuse don't just exist within like a you know, uh, romantic partnership, it can actually exist in a work situation. It can exist in other types of, um, relationships. And that's really what we see here with Heidi and Madam Alex. Um, and so, uh, Heidi had described that in order to learn the ins and outs of the business, she herself had to work as a prostitute, um, or sex worker. I don't know which, which term do you feel like I should be using prostitute or sex worker? I think sex work is the more PC term these days. Okay. So then Heidi had to work as a sex worker for a short period of time for Alex. And so this, I don't know if it was like a Heidi kind of driven thing. Like I want to learn how to do this business. And so I want to learn the ins and outs of every aspect. And so choosing to take some time in working as a sex worker, or if this was something that maybe was pushed on her by Alex basically saying like, Hey, if you're going to work for me as my assistant and like be my second hand, you need to know how like each part of the business works. So that part is unclear to me. Um, but either way, she did do that for a short period of time. Um, in the, while also learning from Alex, especially in the beginning, Alex found herself, um, experiencing a labor shortage. And so in this case, Alex's sex workers were approaching middle age and they themselves were wanting to retire, but then also the clientele that was seeking, um, you know, women of a certain age and things like that obviously may not be middle aged women, the horror so far past their prime. How, how awful. Yes. They were not seeking that. And so, um, Alex made it Heidi's responsibility um, to revitalize the business and recruit new, young, and attractive women to work as sex workers for Madam Alex. And so it turns out that Heidi just had a really good, like, knack for um, recruiting high-end talent. And so by 1990, Heidi actually absorbed Alex's business. And according to Alex, um, Heidi had stolen her client list and basically was just like starting her own little prostitution ring. Um, and so by 1991, Heidi had recruited over 500 women who were now all a part of her business. She had just a list of women, 500 plus that her clients could actually either choose from, or she could kind of, you know, assign, I don't really know the correct lingo. Um, Uh, So Heidi described that the look that she was searching for when she was recruiting was clean cut and perfect. Like she was born and raised in Beverly Hills. Whatever that means. Um, I'm imagining blonde. I'm imagining thin. I'm imagining 
uh, plastic Long surgery legs, in certain areas. Yes. Breast <laughs> augmentation. Yes. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but also, too, you know, I think people appreciate all kinds of people. So yeah. I think what I... The like, clients should have a more open mind. Yeah, I think the gripe I especially take, though, is like clean cut and perfect. Because it's like, well, I'm perfect, ma'am. And I was not raised in Beverly Hills. <laughs> also, nobody's perfect. I gotta work it again and again till I get it right. Yes, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a Hannah Montana reference for um, any uh, uh, Gen Zs who don't know. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, so with high-end clientele and high-end sex workers came a high-end price tag and heidi's like even heidi's black book her traditional black book um was actually a 28 page red gucci planner filled with a list clients and heidi was charging fifteen hundred dollars a night um you know, back in 91 with one of the girls and so, or one of the women. And so in today's money, that's $2,999, no, $2,992.95. And so almost $3,000 a night with one of these women. Um, and as the madam, Heidi took 40%. And so, you know, at $1,500 a night, that's six, that's $600 or in today's money, about $1,200 that she was taking a night per, um, per woman or per client, um, situation, I guess. Um, and so Heidi says that she made her first million four months after starting her business. Soon Heidi was making $300,000 a week. And so again, in today's money, that would be about $600,000 a week that she was making um, from this very lucrative, but morally, you know, questionable business practice. Yeah. Uh, is it really like morally questionable? You know, I think it, uh, sex work is the oldest profession, right? As they call it. Um, but certainly I could imagine things would have operated a lot differently if it were you know legal if there were protections in place for those in the industry well i consider I it know. the only i guess i consider it like morally questionable is because like in a lot of ways it doesn't sound like these women had their it doesn't i i don't know how much autonomy they had and she's taking 40 percent Oh, absolutely. Like, as opposed to, as opposed to, you know, I think nowadays um, there have been a lot of workarounds and a lot of sex workers are able to kind of be their own boss and, like, manage mm -hmm. and protect themselves and, you no, know, that's a really take great their point. own profits. Um, mm -hmm. And so, like, $1,500 a night, like, yeah, you may have, like, you know, put, the, like, sent this guy my way, but I'm the one working, you know? Absolutely. Um, so... That's my thought. But so by now, you know, making $300,000 a week, she definitely had earned her nickname as the Hollywood Madam. Um, and so Heidi, of course, was not the only player um, in the Hollywood prostitution game or prostitution ring game, rather. Um, 
And so other players in the industry actually had arrangements with the LAPD. And so they would give the Los Angeles Police Department a list of their clients on a weekly basis. And that was kind of the way that LAPD was like, all right, you scratch my back. I'm acting like you're not doing what you're doing. Um, according to Nick Broomfield, who is the director of the 1995 documentary Heidi Fleiss, Hollywood Madam, he said Heidi wouldn't play the game. She broke all the rules. She kind of did it for fun, which is why she was so successful. So one of Heidi's really big things is she was like, I will never like give up my clientele list like even now like protecting like who her clients were that's just not the game that she wanted to play um and so because she didn't play that you know that made her much more of a target um than other um uh i don't know exactly madams other people who are also running similar um rings in um well, los angeles yeah, or of course and all the cops have like a reason to to go after this reminds me of the the episode we did on uh the, the woman behind molly's game yeah, yeah yeah i can't remember her last name is uh slipping at it's this point game. um no no <laughs> But no, that reminds me, you know, when even when she got caught, she never released the names of the people who participated in her poker game. So if you guys want to check out that episode as as well, yeah, it's good. for sure, for sure. Um, <clears throat> and so Heidi was arrested in on June 9th, 1993, and she was charged with five counts of pandering. And so this uh, callback to something I said before we were recording. Um, <clears throat> so when I hear pandering, I immediately think of like when somebody panders to a community. So my, like the first example that comes to my mind is like when um, Hillary Clinton went to the Breakfast Club, which is like a very, like it's a predominantly like black, you know, urban like radio station in New York City and like whips out like a bottle of hot sauce and she's like, look at me. <laughs> just seems like very like pandering to a community Um, yeah i don't think that's illegal but maybe it should be (laughs) yes but so yeah when i hear pandering i'm like why don't what does that mean and so i was like why why is this pandering but she wasn't arrested for pimping which is what i would have thought um and so turns out there is a legal difference and so i pulled this from um criminaldefenselawyer.com so very legit as you can see um and so pimping consi- sorry pimping principally consists of receiving either directly or indirectly a prostitute's earnings it also encompasses the act of asking for or receiving money in exchange for soliciting a prostitute Pandering, on the other hand, involves the practice of procuring a person to be used for or to travel for prostitution. It also includes inducing, encouraging, or forcing someone to engage in or to continue to engage in prostitution. Pimping and pandering often occur together. For example, when a, when a defendant attempts to convince a woman to work for him or her as a prostitute, which is pandering, and proposes to share in her profits, which is pimping. So, um <clears throat> I mean, in this case, it really does feel like she did both. Like, she was taking 40%. um, Right. I was going to say, that sounds like it could fall under the legal definition of pimping, in my opinion. But... Yeah, for sure. I mean, it could also be, you know, not enough, like, 
like hand to hand like proof of like the money mm-hmm. trail maybe right um, uh, yeah they're gonna charge her with what they think will stick yeah so yeah she was charged with pandering she had also um in 1994, um, there were also federal charges that were um, filed against her on top of the state charges. The state, so pandering was the state charges. Um, I think the federal charges were about like tax evasion and not necessarily about um, pandering or prostitution or pimping or anything like that. Um, and so at her state trial, none other than Charlie Sheen testified against Heidi which I was like it it would be Charlie Sheen um Charlie <laughs> come on do you have the right to be pointing the finger at anyone well here's the thing so he testifies against Heidi saying oh yeah I spent I spent fifty three thousand dollars a year on Heidi's business <laughs> like Okay, bud, like... And shouldn't he be getting in trouble for admitting that? I mean, I'm sure it is a, you know, scratch my back, we'll scratch yours type of a situation in which, yeah, you testified and we won't charge you with this. Um, So that's my guess on that. But he, you know, testified and I guess that was, you know, part of some of the evidence of, hey, yeah, clearly she was running this business and keeping a, you know, gaggle of sex workers, um, like at her beck and call. I'm not sure what the proper phrasing would be. Um, and she ended up getting convicted on those. So on the state charges of pandering, the five charges she was convicted on three counts and she ended up being sentenced to three years in state prison um but in may of 1996 her state conviction was overturned i'm not sure on what grounds i could um i don't know i i i wouldn't be surprised if it had something to do with evidence um because again the only thing that i found that they gave as evidence was Charlie Sheen testifying. Um, right. And his, is he a reliable witness? Yeah. I think not. Also too, like what, what was his proof? Was there receipts? Was there ledgers? Was it just the fact that he was willing to admit that this happened? But like, did he have names of people Did like, what I just see a, a, a lot of potential for yeah. holes in his testimony. Yeah, and I also imagine, and I didn't see anything that said that any of the sex workers that were working for her testified, and so I would imagine that if none of the sex workers working for her testified, then it's hard to make, I don't know if you can hear a child crying, but it's hard to make that stick if like a kid is you know, I'm like saying a kid because I hear a kid screaming um it's hard to make that stick if like like where's your proof that she was forcing anyone into prostitution you know right um, right that's totally fair yeah there's just a lot of yeah. room for like miscalculations mm-hmm. there and you know it doesn't sound like they have the strongest argument yeah but so either way, though, um, months later in September of 96, she ended up being federally convicted of tax evasion and she was sentenced to seven years in prison. And so here's how wow, they really get you for that tax evasion, don't but they? Here's, here's what like, gets me annoyed with this, though. I'm like, all right. So I'm like making so I'm making money by doing something illegal. Right. There is no proper channel for which 
I can pay my taxes through <laughs> like with this like I can't just be like oh yeah I'm doing something illegal and like paying ta-. like you guys don't tax this because it's not an Ill- it's not a legal thing to do it just seems to me like some weird double jeopardy like I can't pay taxes on it because it's an illegal thing to do and you guys don't tax that necessarily and so you're gonna get me for tax evasion like it's not like I'm making money in like the real estate industry and just not paying my taxes on it right um it just seems like a just no like like, trying to make as many things stick um it just seems yeah too you know uh another uh reason to advocate for legalizing sex work is so that hey government you can be making money off of taxes in the industry instead of just and like using those taxes i think for like good things like um you know increasing awareness about uh or like providing funding for preventing STIs or preventing teen pregnancy or you know making birth control free to all or available to all mm-hmm. you know and also if you really want to make tax if you really want people to just pay their taxes and not like you know and not like even if people are making their money illegally there should be like a like hey, we won't come and get you kind of a thing where it's like, hey, I'm not making money above board, but here's my share of taxes. Don't ask questions. Don't come for me. You know, like, I why not? I think that puts the government in a difficult position. I guess you could say like, oh, I'm an independent consultant and not say what you're independently consulting on, but then... Uh, maybe you're, you know, misrepresenting yourself to the government, so that's something that that they well, can get you on. Well, I'm saying like the government should have like a box that's like <laughs> makes money through nefarious <laughs> means, but will not disclose. And the government's like, you know what? You're paying your fair share. I'm like not gonna say anything because I'm like I can't pay taxes on it if it's illegal. <laughs> like, like, I don't I love that. Joe, Joe, if you're listening. Kamala, come on. Um, yes, guys, it's groundbreaking idea. Um, but yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, she was federally convicted, convicted of tax evasion and sentenced to seven years in prison. And so after 20 months at the Federal Correctional Institution in Dublin, California, um, she was released to a halfway house. And so that was in 1998. And she was ordered to complete 370 hours of community service. And she ended up being finally released from the halfway house and, um, I guess, from federal I don't know, custody, supervision, um, in September of 1999. Um, and so... When asked about revealing the names of her clients, finally, um, or for one time after whatever, when finally asked about revealing the names of her clients, she she finally responded, it's not my style. And so nobody knows who her clients are. I read an article that she said something like she's ready to turn on a client. Um, I skimmed the article and didn't see like a name that popped out at me. So don't know anything um i know that she like lives 
maybe at like a parrot sanctuary where she like rescues and rehabs like parrots that haven't been taken care of now. Okay. Um, like I or, support or macaws, which might also be parrots. I'm some not sure. type of large bird. Yeah. So. And she um, was also on, um, like, one of those Dr. Drew shows where he, like, tries to, like, save you. But also, it's weird to do your doctoring things on a television platform like that. So I'm not sure how. Yeah, the efficacy of that (laughs) treatment, you know, I think if we were to do research that we would find it is not, you know, how many of people on, like, Dr. Drew or, like, Dr. Phil end up, Mm -hmm. you know, actually getting... I think the whole purpose of treatment is that it's done in private. Oh my gosh. Literally, we're having a a hard time. The heavens are pouring down here. You've got a kid (laughs) screaming in the background. (laughs) We're going to, hopefully the background music will um, get, but you know what? I, I have respect for, for you, Heidi. I don't respect if you were you know kind of coercing women and you know it sounds like you were taking a bit unfairly high of a cut but you know i hope you turn things around hope it's going well at the birdhouse and i i have respect that you're not you know releasing the names of your your clients i think that you know the amount of money you could get for a tell-all book or is she maybe blackmailing her clients and that's like how she's continuing to fund the the parrot house. That would not be cool. I just like did math because if she was making three hundred thousand dollars a week and it was fifteen hundred a night, presumably let's say it's a one girl a night, that's two hundred like women, two hundred sex workers a week that she was. I don't know how to connecting. That's that's wild. <laughs> that's insane. But wouldn't they have like seized the funds? So wouldn't she probably not have any of that money unless she like stored it in a bank account offshore, which would create the dilemma again of the whole tax thing. I don't unless know. She's My, I don't know how it works with tax evasion. Washing money through the parrot house could be. I should be an um, FBI agent. Yeah, I mean, this is gonna, like, maybe sound messed up, though. She struggled with, like, addiction for a really, really, really long time, and so it's not, like, unusual to also, like, even if she did have a lot of money, like, it wouldn't have be unusual if, like, through addiction, through may- maybe, like, yeah. poor decision-making or anything like that. Like, spending not, a, a lot yeah. of money, you know, yeah. in, in a very short period of time. Yeah, so that's the end of my case. <laughs> well, it was very interesting. What what a way to, to end things. I hope that everyone involved ended up okay and got the therapy that they, they needed. But Yeah, you too, Charlie Sheen. You too. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I wish you peace and love. Peace and and love and if early only, intervention. If only because <laughs> your dad is Martin Sheen. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of funny. Yeah, that his dad's Martin Sheen and seems like such a cool. Guy. It's kind of like a uh, Tom Hanks. Like, have you heard oh, about with his like son, Chet? Like, Chet, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Chet, but you're not some of Jamaican. Th- number one, chill. Oh, a lot of things you do really rub me the wrong way, and I'm just like, Tom Hanks is your father, right? Like, like 
just a mess. Like, it also, like, he his is, brother. like, America's father. Yeah, his brother is, like, an actor and, like, much more, like, clean cut. I just can't imagine, like, what Christmas is like with, like, Chet walking in, like, hey, it's a white boy Christmas, y'all. Oh, <laughs> like, my God. Chet, Chet, Chet. Your name is Chet. Chet. Like, maybe that's, you know... That's where they went wrong. They named him Chet. It just set him on, you know, a downwards trajectory to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a little weirdo. But you know what, Chet? I hope that you learn. I hope you educate yourself. <laughs> I hope, you know, Tom did, shares some reading materials with you. How did we get here? Gosh, Chet. <laughs> All uh, right. <laughs> well, on that note... Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.